0: Have you guys ever heard of this guy named Richard Fuller? Nobody? I mean, he was this great writer and futurist from 1982. Nobody's heard of him, right? Okay, well, neither have I until I studied this. (laughs) But this guy, he, he, he made this graph, okay? And he created this graph known as the knowledge doubling curve. We have it right here, okay? The knowledge doubling curve. And he proposed that the extent of human knowledge was doubling at this crazy, crazy alarming rate, okay? He saw that it was growing. See, before 1900, the growth in human knowledge had stayed relatively flat, okay? It doubled probably once every 100 years. By 1945, that rate had changed to every 25 years. In 1982, he proposed that the knowledge base was doubling every 12 months. And based on the advances of technology, he theorized that by 2020, check this out, human knowledge would be doubling approximately once every 12 hours. Think about that. All the knowledge in all of humanity around all the world is going to be doubling by the time most of us go to bed tonight. That is amazing to me. That's crazy. See, we live in a time when we have immediate access to more knowledge than any other generation before us, right? We're constantly bombarded with messages that tell us that in order to be happy and successful, we need to know more, we need to learn more, and we need to achieve more. We're bombarded with this message and this pressure. So what do we do? Many of us, we spend hours every day on what? Our tablets? Our tablets? Our phones, our laptops, we're searching and researching, we're studying, we're, we're looking for all the things maybe for personal use or for work use. We're always looking and we're always learning. And tell me about this, how many of you guys have had to do a quick repair for a car and you got on YouTube and learned how to fix it? Raise your hand. <laughs> a three-minute video takes me about three hours to do it, but I'll get it done. It teaches us anything that we need to do. So this morning... We're going to unpack the cultural belief that our lives would be better if we could only gain more knowledge. You bow your heads with me, please. My Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for being with us, Lord. We invite your presence here to dwell in and through us, God. Lord, I pray that as I deliver your words of hope and peace, God, that they penetrate the hearts of those that need to hear this encouragement, God. Be with us, and I thank you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. See, the thing about knowledge is that it's, it's morally neutral, okay? It's neutral. See, it doesn't bend one way or the other. It's, on its own, it's neutral. It's not bad or it's not good. Left by itself, it's good. It's neutral. However, what we see today in our culture is the application of that knowledge creating a very clear bend, both good and bad. Just catch the news programs, right? Where we're watching two people disagree and the opposition are going after them. And what do they do? They use how much more they know about the facts and they bring it up and they start beating each other up over the head with who knows more to prove their point. Or let's get a little more personal. Let me ask you. Have you ever been in an argument, maybe with your spouse or your kids or a coworker, and you used just one little piece of information that you knew about them? to just throw that in a mix, to stir it up so that you can prove your point and win the argument. Have you ever done that before? I heard all those grumblings <laughs> there. <laughs> right. but See, you know what, knowledge also has its positive benefits. It has its positive benefits, right? Cures for diseases are being discovered every day. Advances in technology help us and they have made us more productive than ever before. It's a good thing. Knowledge is neutral in itself. So today, I want to reflect on this question. This question here How am I using the knowledge that God has given me? How are you using the knowledge that God has given you? Am I using what I know to speak life into others, or am I leaving a trail of destruction behind? Where are the grumbles? Right? That's the question. So as we've explored various topics in this series, we've repeatedly looked at King Solomon's writings, right? King Solomon was a Jewish king. He was the third king of Israel and was considered the wisest person to ever live. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is the journal that Solomon actually kept as he was pursuing all of these things, he wrote these things down He lists several things that he's tried. He's tried for more power, more money, more sex, more stuff, you name it, he tried it. And after each attempt to find happiness in those things, guess what he was always feeling? Empty. He was always left feeling empty. In fact, at the end of all of his journals, he always wrote the same thing. He says that it was all meaningless, like chasing the what? like chasing the wind, after every time he wrote down his pursuits. So let's read today about what he wrote about his pursuit of knowledge. Okay, so go ahead and open your word to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses, we're going to start at 16 and go to verse 18. Okay? It says, I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who who has ruled over... Jerusalem before me, have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge, then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also the madness and folly. But I learned that this, too is the chasing after the wind. Now hear this: for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. the more knowledge, the more grief now I think we could all probably read this statement and kind of just get on our own, kind of like this vibe that the Bible's anti-knowledge, right? Like, the Bible is against knowledge. But I want to tell you that the opposite is true. In fact, all throughout the Bible, there's this tension that exists between these two seemingly opposing ideas. On the one hand, we have King Solomon telling us that we will experience both sorrow and grief from an increase of knowledge— And then on the other hand, we have scriptures all throughout the Bible that tell us and support and encourage us to pursue knowledge. Listen to what Proverbs 1.7 says. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So what do we do with this? What do we do with these two opposing ideas within Scripture? Well, this morning, I'd like to toss this big idea out to you guys. So on the top of your, 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 your program there, go ahead and fill this in. A life that honors God is found in the application, not simply the accumulation of knowledge. A life that honors God is found in the application, not simply the accumulation of knowledge. So let's look at the passage of scripture that illustrates this for us. So if you would, please turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. And while you're looking for this and finding your place, I want to give you a little bit of context about this scripture. Okay? So the Apostle Paul had founded a church in the city of Corinth. Okay, now, he was on his second missionary journey. Now, Paul was on three different missionary journeys. If you want to read about those, they're they're, they're in the book of Acts. But he's on his second one, and he plants this church in Corinth. Okay? And this church, what made this church unique was that it was a mix of Jews and Gentiles. Now, it's basically a mix of Jews and non-Jews. And so what was happening with this church is a lot of people that were non-Jews were bringing into stuff to their church with different backgrounds, different cultures, uh, just different things that they, were, that they were bringing into the church and, and practices. And this was kind of bothering some people. See, the Corinthian church was known for its intellectualism, and sadly, some of its attendees believed that their knowledge and what they knew made them better people. Than them because they knew more. And sadly, you know what? We see the same thing here in our churches and our community today. Some people believe because I know more than you, I'm a better person than you, or sadly, I'm a better Christian than you. And that is totally not the right way to look at these things. And so the church leaders in Corinth, they had written a letter to Paul. Now we don't have that letter, but in this letter, they were asking for some clarity on some of these issues that they were facing. And one of the pressing issues the church was facing was a matter of food sacrifice to idols. Now, we don't do that now, right? But back then in the Roman culture, there was many sacrifices that were made to various gods, lowercase g, okay? And so what they would do is they would bring their sacrifice to the priest. And the priests would do their thing, and they would allot the sacrifice into three different components. One part would go towards the sacrifice. Another portion of the meat would go to the priests, And then the extra meat would go to the family or the person that brought the sacrifice. But something was happening because there were so many people bringing sacrifices, so they had a lot of meat. And so they created a fourth means of getting rid of the meat, and they would sell it to the marketplace. Right? And so some of the, the Corinthians and mainly the Christians in the church that were struggling with this is like, how can you go eat that meat inside of the marketplace knowing that it was offered to gods from the Romans? That's sinful meat. So we had some people holding that position. And then you had others are like, yo, I'm hungry. It's my money. I should be able to spend it and eat what I want to eat. And so there was this thing going on on whether the food could be sacrificed or non sacrifice. Let me help put this in modern context, okay? See, within the Christian faith, there are beliefs and practices which are black and white, okay? They're totally clear in Scripture. See, these would be our basic beliefs like salvation by grace through faith in Jesus alone, another one is the virgin birth, the sinless life of Jesus and the Trinity. These things are crystal clear in Scripture. What Paul is responding to in this passage is what we would call a gray area or an unclear area. Something like, can Christians go to dances? Or can Christians go to movies? Or can Christians drink alcohol? Those type of things. Okay? Those are the things that we can kind of relate what was happening then to now. So into this conflict, the Apostle Paul writes these words, okay? And read with me in 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 and 2. He says, now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but hear this. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. I love that scripture. See, in verse one, Paul is pointing out that we all have some level of knowledge on the issues of today. We all have some knowledge of it. So the problem that we're facing as Christians is not the knowledge. You know what the problem is? The problem is how we choose to apply that knowledge. How do we communicate it to them? Now, the letter that was written to Paul argued that they should be able to eat whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. See, it was their right. Their right. But see, rather than continuing to argue to the point of their rights, Paul responds to the very core of the issue. And he's saying, how is your heart? How is your heart? Is it so important to win this argument that you don't even consider all the people around you that are being affected by this argument? Where's your heart? Is it that important to win this argument? I want you to write this for the first point in your notes. Knowledge without love can lead me to arrogance. Knowledge without love can lead me to arrogance. Church, we are currently living in a time where people are labeled and divided by their political and social stances in ways that I don't think we've ever experienced before. It's obvious, it's all out there. The ugliness ugliness that's part of this division, it's on display everywhere. And what happens, it spills over in our workplace conversations. And then from our workplace conversations, it spills over into our family conversations. And it just spreads. And where we used to be able to listen with respect to each other, we now see a culture that uses shame and facts to beat each other up. And this is exactly what was going on in the church in Corinth. So how do we, as a people of God, how do we change this dynamic? Church, I got to tell you, as a follower of Jesus, I stand 100% behind the biblical truth. As a soul guide for my life. But hear this, how I have those conversations with the people around me about that biblical truth either opens doors or slams them shut. It reminded me of a conversation I had with a student many years ago who was struggling with identity. And I don't know if you have students, but in the high schools, there is this rush of you have to pick, you need to do this, you are this. I mean, there's this influence that is crazy in the schools. And then you add in the social media and the influencers there. And so I met with him for quite a while and was sharing and kind of telling me as they were investigating and finding out who they were. And it saddened me that they were getting their information from these social media platforms, YouTube, TikTok. And so as they were telling me, as they were finding out who they were, I listened for the first two conversations and created this safe place for them to know that you can talk to me. I was gaining this relational equity with them. And then on the third visit... I continued listening, but then I said, hey, you know I'm a pastor, right? And he's like, yeah, I know. And i go, you know I believe a certain way in the Bible about some of these things. He was like, yeah, I know. I'm like, I know that you've been doing research and you've been investigating. It sounds like you've been doing a whole lot of homework on making these next decisions for you. But would you consider allowing me to teach you what God's plan is for you in your life and how he sees you? and how your true identity is in Jesus alone. Are you down to at least hear all that? That way you can have the full picture before you decide to make a decision. And so we kept talking. I had another one. I didn't know if I was gonna meet after that, but they said yes. And then we met, and then we met again, and guess what? Things started changing. He started receiving what we were talking about, and I'm just glad to know that he is an adult right now, married and having his family right now, by the grace of God, by the grace of God. And I'm not saying it's something Tito did, But the door was not shut. It was left right there for a conversation to be had. What about me and my opinion? No, about the goodness of God and the fullness that he has for them in their life. That's it, not my opinion. And so the open heart was right there to receive it. So how are we doing in our conversations and interactions with the people God has placed in our lives? How are we doing? Do they contain both truth and grace? Do we use our conversations as platforms to showcase and puff up how smart we are? Or do we use them as an opportunity to love the people around us and introduce them to God's best for their lives? How are we doing in our conversations? Ask yourself this Are you helping people take one step closer to Jesus? That is something we need to ask because that's our goal. It's right here, it's our mission statement for our church, helping people take one step closer to Jesus. Look back at verse 2 with me in 1 Corinthians 8. It says, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Write this down for point 2. Knowledge with love will lead me to humility. In verse 2, Paul emphasizes the importance of humility in our pursuit of knowledge. You see, true knowledge recognizes its limitations and acknowledges that I too am a sinner in need of God's grace and mercy. When I recognize that about myself, I can see that. And humility causes me to stop looking down on others who may not have the same level of knowledge or understanding as I do. How many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis? He's one of my favorite authors, and he wrote this book called Mere Christianity. It's a great book. And in this book, he calls pride, which is the opposite of humility, he calls pride the great sin. I want to read an excerpt right here uh, with you. So uh, he writes, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. That is heavy, heavy. But that is the weight of what pride does, and we carry that with us. That's what pride is. For many of us, our pride gets put in check. Only when something bad happens, right? I know for me. And I have to face myself and look in the mirror and have to deal with the stuff that I did wrong so that I can face these things and change so that I don't have to do these families' and shortfalls again. It's hard, but it's necessary. We need to face that. Because it's in those moments that we grow in the humility that leads us to interact differently with those around us. And I'm telling you, God has used 48 years of my life, ups and downs, to definitely temper me, to humble me. And I was sharing with one of my sisters out here how it has changed my life to be able to be the person that I am right now. Stop trying to have to prove a point and just fall in line with what God is doing. And that's what pride will do. It will humble you. You will be humbled. Like Paul states, the things I thought I knew, I did not really know because I had yet to be humbled by the struggles and challenges of life. You have to hear that being humble does not change my belief, but it does affect how or why I share that belief. And I'm telling you, I wish that I had learned many of those lessons as a younger person. I definitely would have approached conversations and relationships much differently than I had and definitely with a, a higher degree of grace and humility. See, Paul closes his instructions to the church in an amazing, humble way. Go ahead and look at me, look with me at uh, 1 Corinthians 8:13. And it says, "Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall." Hear that again. If what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. What would our world look like if each of us chose to adopt a similar mindset like Paul did? I'm willing to give up or sacrifice my rights to do X, Y, and Z if it helps one person take one step closer to Jesus. Think about that. That's being willing to come in second for the sake of building the kingdom of God. This weekend we're celebrating our veterans who offer us a real palatable example of this kind of selflessness. Veterans show us an example of the sacrifice and obedience that is needed to strengthen and grow our nation, right? Yesterday I was blessed to hear a combat veteran speak briefly and he was asked to give some words of encouragement to any young person that was thinking about joining the armed services. And what he said was so simple, and pro, but, but profound. And he said this, he said, to be humble, pay attention to detail, and to be obedient. See, a good soldier and a true Christian, see, are both in a great battle. One against an aggressor of nations, and the other against an aggressive evil. You seeing that? So personal character traits, unit cohesiveness, or unity principles of war and strategies are the same, just different tactics. They're the same. And as Christians, we're called to live this kind of sacrificial and obedient life so that we can effectively contribute to building and strengthening his kingdom right here, right now today. Think about how different our faith community would look or how our families and friendships would look if we lived in this way. Think about that. So where do we go from here? How does this help us to live differently today? Well, I'm going to challenge you with one thing, starting right now, one thing. As you engage in conversations and interactions, let this question guide you. And the question is this. Am I using what I know to speak life into others, or am I leaving a trail of destruction behind me? Am I using what I know to speak life into others, or am I leaving a trail of destruction behind me? Ask yourself that. And how will you use the knowledge that God has given you? How will you use it? the question will you be humble pay attention to detail and be obedient with what God's given you because as the people of God the builders of his kingdom we should be known for speaking life and encouragement to everyone around us all the time bow your heads with me Lord thank you for this day and for just King Solomon's writings in here, and that he pursued all these things and wrote about them, Lord, so we can know that there is no other pursuit but you, that you don't leave us feeling empty, God, that it's not knowledge, it's not material things, it's not anything else other than you, Lord. Lord, I pray that this can be embedded in our hearts, God, so that whenever the time comes where we feel like we need this or we need that, God, that our eyes can be fixed on you. And Lord, I pray that you can help us and use us, God, to bring hope to others, that our knowledge and the things that you've given us isn't used in a way to hurt but to build, Lord. We don't want to puff up. We want to build up, God. So I, I just pray a blessing over us all, God. Be with us, Lord. Be with our homes, our families, God. I pray for the veterans again and their families, Lord. Be with them as we celebrate them this week. But God, I just thank you so much for who you are. And we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.